is going on, Everlast? How are we tonight? Good. It's good to see everybody. Well, hey, my name is Kev. I'm the uh, young adult pastor here at Calvary Worship Center. And uh, uh, this is our, Everlast is our young adult ministry. And it's our desire to encounter Jesus and to grow in Jesus and make Jesus known. Um, if, if, if tonight is your first time at Everlast, please do us the favor. Go out into our Life Center afterwards and we have a gift for you just to say thanks for coming. And uh, yeah, woot woot to that. Love it. So we're smack dab in the middle of, um, of uh, our series, Created to Worship. And it's been so awesome, y'all, to go through the scriptures and to see just how God um, has designed us. That is, uh, for worship, to worship Him. Uh, because the truth is, Everlast, you're worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. And uh, so far, we've worked through two different ways uh, that we were created to worship. Our first week, um, we talked about we were created to worship through Thanksgiving. And uh, Thanksgiving, y'all listen, is specifically designed to move the meditation of your heart from self-centered complaint uh, to God-glorifying praise. To quote Billy Graham again, I quoted him a couple weeks ago because, he, y'all, he said it really well. He said this, he said, A spirit of thankfulness is one of the most distinctive marks of a Christian whose heart is attuned to the Lord. Amen. Our second week, which was last week, uh, we talked about we were created to worship through obedience. And my wife, Tina, she did a fantastic job of unpacking uh, what it looks like to obey the Lord. Because y'all listen, when, uh, yeah, we obey what we worship. God desires a heart of obedience rather than a heart of empty praise. And before we move on, I just wanted to again tonight, uh, real quick, just you know, define like what, what, what a common definition of, of worship is. And uh, we, we, we kind of define it this way. It's been defined this way a lot in the church. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was once asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? In which he answered in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, all of your what? Soul, all of your what? Strength and with what all of your mind. You see, it's in Jesus' answer that we find our answer. Um, worship being a lifestyle, everlast, means that in everything, in everything, you are loving God through your thoughts, um, your words, your attitude, and actions. Now, like we shared at the beginning of this series, um, we're going through a list of, uh, this is a five-week series, we're going through a list of five ways on how God created us to worship. And this list, again, is by no means exhaustive. If we listed all the ways that we, were, uh, we can worship God through, we would be in this series for a long time. <laughs> uh, so to reiterate, these five ways we're working through is not like the end-all, say-all ways of worship. These are just simply five uh, ways that the Bible encourages us uh, to worship God through. So tonight is, our, is, is, is the third way in this series that we're, we were uh, created to worship God through. And that is we were, uh, we were created to worship God through service. Through service. With that being said, let's dive on in, all right? Y'all ready? Ready to get in God's word? Amen. By the way, uh, there's going to be many different uh, scriptures we're going to be working through. But to start, please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. 
verses 3 through 8. Again, that's Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Let's read. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, And lastly, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amen? Let's pray together again. Well, Father in heaven, we, we just love you and we're so thankful for you tonight. It's just so awesome to be in your presence together. And God, we're so grateful for all that you're doing in and through this church and specifically this young adult ministry. God, I pray that as we continue in worship through your word, that you'd speak to us. God, help us to grow tonight in our understanding of what it means to serve and to worship you through it. God, I ask that you would help us to surrender all of our thoughts and affections to you tonight. And I always love doing this. Just encourage you to pray for your own heart right where you're at. Just pray this. Say, God, would you speak to me tonight? Thank you, Lord. And now I encourage you just to pray that same prayer for the person on your left and right. Just pray this. Say, God, would you speak to them tonight. And lastly, I just would kindly ask that you please pray for me, that God would use me to make things helpful and clear. Father, we love you very much. Please speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Service is more than how many bars you have on your phone. Can we agree with that? Service is more than if your waiter brought you your food out in a timely manner or not. Service is more than what time the church offers for you to come and for you to get a spiritual foot rub. Service, y'all listen to this, service has way less to do about you than you may realize. More on this later. What are some common ways of serving? What are some common ways? Some of us think it's stacking chairs. Someone said amen to that, all right. I love it. What about opening the door for someone? It's a common way of serving. 
What about this? Helping your friend move. You know what they say. You don't know who your true friends are until they help you move, right? You know? One time, me and a good buddy of mine uh, named Jordan helped move another good buddy of ours named Shane. Uh, him and his family are moving from this, this, a house to another house. And so, uh, check this out. It took, <laughs> it took us five entire days, just me and him. He didn't want to hire, you know, a moving company, so he just asked two of his buddies, and it took us five whole days of my life moving this dude's stuff. We definitely earned our good friend card. Nay, great friend card. Uh, I say that humbly, right? No. <laughs> All that to say, whether, listen, whether your view of service is generally stigmatizing it as doing a task, or if your view of service is shallow and me-focused, like, what am I going to get out of it? Let me tell you right here and right now, Everlast, service is so much more. Don't hear what I'm not saying, though. Stacking and unstacking chairs for Jesus is very much a thing. <laughs> we're we're going to be doing it tonight. Uh, yeah, we did it earlier. We're doing it tonight. But stacking chairs will just be stacking chairs if your heart is, uh, is, is, is elsewhere. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying that you... Uh, Every time you stack chairs, that it has to be like um, Buddy the Elf on that one scene. You know, he walks in, he's like, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it, you know. Uh, it's, but instead you replace, I love stacking chairs, I love stacking chairs, and I don't care who knows it. No, like that's, that's sometimes y'all serving can be more so out of duty rather than delight. But it shouldn't always be that way. Listen, if your heart is serving because it's for the glory of God, then you will be a lot more prone to have a sweet balance of both duty and delight. Does that make sense? Y'all, who, ha who has this perfect balance? I'm about to, everybody's about to get this answer right. It's the good old Sunday school answer. Who with their life both had to serve and wanted to serve? Whose life perfectly defines service? Answer, Jesus, amen. A plus, you passed, amen. No, easy, Jesus. Matthew 20, 28. The son of man came not to be served. Wow. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, before you say to yourself, yeah, I got it, Kev. I, Jesus came to serve, know it, heard it many times. I'm good to go. Can I just ask you kindly something? Please do me a favor and listen tonight as if you've never heard it before. Like honestly, if this was your first time to hear this, listen. Jesus lived a sinless life. No sin at all. He lived a perfect life in place of our sinful, F-U-L-L, full, and imperfect life. He took on himself the sin of the world. That's right, you, your sin, me, my sin, and the rest of mankind. You see, God is holy. He hates sin. 
He is literally the opposite of it. Because of this, there had to be a sacrifice of something completely pure so that something completely impure could be made pure. Jesus willingly said, sign me up. Sign me up. Jesus bore the wrath and anger of God over sin. I mean, y'all, we don't even know how to fully, completely compute that. Jesus then died a very brutal death. You know, some of you uh, know my story, um, but God freed me seven and a half years ago uh, from a porn addiction that was literally killing me. Yeah, we can give God glory for that. I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. Yeah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, it was literally killing me. There are too many times to count, unfortunately, where after I sinned, I felt lower than low. I don't know if I can get a witness in that. If, if, you've, if you've been in that place where you just, just dirt, just, just so ashamed, I felt awful. And to think about those times, shoot, <laughs> To think about just one of those times, one of those times where I felt that, you know, that heaviness, that, 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 that shame. For Christ to take on all of my shame for all the times I've sinned. And honestly, y'all, porn is just one topic. What about my pride? What about my worry? My impatience? And the rest of mankind, Hebrews 12, 12, I'm sorry, 12, 2, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, you can write this down, you can read it later if you need, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Thank you, Lord. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Everlast, Jesus took all your shame. All of it. All your fear. All your sin so that you wouldn't have to be tormented by its wicked hold on you. In exchange, he, he, he freely offers um, you his glory. His glory, his redemption, his healing power. Oh, by the way, he then three days later, <laughs> right, <laughs> rose from the grave, conquering death. There's no contest here, y'all. He defeated it. He rose from the grave. What? Now, should we believe in all of this and in faith trust that he is Lord? He gives us his spirit to live within us and to help us walk and follow in his loving and, and, and grace-filled ways because, because of God's grace, you are free from the bondage of sin. 
and shame to therefore live free in Jesus' name. Are y'all glad about that? Can someone shout hallelujah? Come on, give them glory, y'all. Thank you, Jesus. Man, it's my prayer that that message, the good news of the gospel, wouldn't just be something that we get accustomed to, but that when we fill it in our bones. Let me ask you a question, though. Why did Jesus ultimately do all of that? Was it for me and you, or you and I? <laughs> Sorry. My sister would have corrected me right then. She's a teacher. Was it for you and I? Yes. But it's vital to know, and I want you all to know, uh, that we aren't first in line as to why he did all this. There's actually three reasons why Jesus is the perfect definition of service. And if you're taking notes, here's the first reason. Jesus served to serve God. Jesus served to serve God. The primary reason Jesus is the epitome of service is because his main motive for serving was for God, the Father, to be glorified, meaning he wanted God to be put on display. John 4, 34, I love this. One of my favorite verses, honestly. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Why, why, I just, he, he talks about food. I just love that. So practical. What does food do? What does food do? It nourishes us, fills us up. It, it keeps us alive, literally. It, it helps us keep going strong. For Jesus to literally say that doing the Father's will was his like sustenance, his complete sustenance, is something that will forever and always just challenge and encourage me I hope it does for you too listen by the way what else does food do it satisfies us God literally made taste buds he didn't have to but he did let me ask you another question does God satisfy you tonight we're asking quite a few questions that I'm asking you to hear as if again listen as if it's the first time does God satisfy you like, are you truly satisfied with him? My wife, Tina, about, uh, uh, talked about this last week uh, when it comes to obeying God, and the same applies here. It's not that we serve God and then we get to enjoy, but more so we enjoy God and therefore serve God. Amen? While the slogan of the Snickers candy bar applies here, satisfied, you know, like, this is obviously way more than, you know, a bite of chocolate here. But gosh, y'all, I just seriously so enjoy. And I love that Jesus associated serving God as to something that he, that he enjoys. He actually enjoys it. I just think that's so awesome. I mean, in the details of Jesus teaching his disciples the way to serve God, he uses something that is so easy to understand because it hits home with every human eating. It just blows my mind. I love that, how Jesus can just make it that applicable and, and helpful for us to understand. Most of you know another part of my story. 
um, which my mom, uh, my mom valiantly, um, y'all, she fought the good fight of faith against cancer for, for three years. And uh, at the young age of 35, which I turned 35 this year, kind of a big year of perspective for me, um, my mom, Linda, she breathed her last breath and she's now in glory with Jesus. Y'all, she ran her, her, her race very well. Amen. Uh, one of my mom's final requests was to have a big old bowl of fruit salad. Like the good kind. You know, not, like, not just grapes and like, oh, like not like at all any taste cantaloupe, you know, like just the white part of cantaloupe. No, like the juicy stuff like banana, sliced bananas and strawberries, you know, just, all, you know, gosh, the works, pineapple, all the things. She, she, her, one of her last requests was for a big bowl of uh, fruit salad and also... Her other request, one of her final requests, was uh, to get a big box of biscuits from KFC. Yeah, my mom knew what was up. She knew that's what's up. Which, by the way, KFC biscuits, like, I, I haven't had them in a while, and I'm, like, mad at myself. Because they're definitely some of the most anointed little pieces of buttery goodness on this earth. Like, I, can I get an amen to that? Ah. I don't know about Popeyes. I mean, I'm with you. Popeyes is great, but KFC, I think, trumps it. I, I imagine the manna that God rained down from heaven for the Israelites was something like KFC biscuits. Um, anyways, y'all, check this out. While, while my mom enjoyed these final things to eat before she transitioned to be with God, honestly, honestly, it was God and God alone all along that she truly enjoyed. David wrote in Psalm, uh, yeah, ooh, so David, David wrote in Psalm 34, verse eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, the verb taste, which in the Old Testament is commonly used in the very literal sense, is, it's a metaphor for personal experience. I've said it here before, but listen, God isn't just someone who we are to theologically study. He is also meant to be someone we experientially enjoy. It's not one or the other, it's both and. Everlast, something that, about Jesus that also I need you to know tonight is this. Serving is not just a duty to Jesus. It's also a passion um, in his divine heart. Serving is not just a duty to Jesus. It's, it's, it's also a passion in his divine heart. Jesus thoroughly enjoyed doing the will of the Father. Jesus didn't just, how, like how else can you put it? Like Jesus didn't need an alarm, to, alarm clock, you know, <laughs> to wake up. What got, him up. what got him up every morning, what jazzed him up was to display God's glory through his service. Jesus perfectly out of duty and delight loved God through his thoughts, his, his, his words, attitude, and actions. So the first reason we talked through, we're just zooming through it, why Jesus is the perfect definition of service, Jesus served to serve God. The second reason why, ready? Taking notes. Jesus served so we can serve God. Jesus served so we can serve God. 
Pastor and author, uh, J.D. Greer, a good friend of mine named Hank, leads worship at this dude's church, this pastor's church. <laughs> this dude's, I want to be respectful. Uh, uh, J.D. Greer says this, true religion is when you serve God to get nothing else but more of God. Man, that's so great. I'm going to read it again. True religion is when you serve God to get nothing else but more of God. Jesus gave us the ultimate example of service to God. All Jesus wanted was more of God. And in giving us this awesome example, he enables us, y'all realize this, Jesus enables us to do the same. Listen, but listen, if our motive for serving is anything other than the glory of God, what we do will be only religious activity and not true Christian ministry. If our motive for serving is anything other than the glory of God, what we do will be only religious activity, not true Christian ministry. Because we don't always understand our own motives. Because we don't understand our own motives. I think it's possible to be in Christian service for reasons other than the glory of God. Some people are involved in ministry only for personal gain. Perhaps they like, you know, relish the recognition. I tell many worship leaders, I've been able to, by God's grace, train up worship leaders throughout the years. And men, this thing right here called the stage is such a dangerous place for the human heart. Gosh. You know, serving Jesus shouldn't be for relishing in the recognition. <laughs> maybe, maybe someone serves just to enjoy having the opportunities to, to display their talents. Honestly, it's doubtful. I would say this. It's doubtful that anybody ever does anything out of purely unselfish motive. But with God's help, we can sure try. <laughs> As simple as what I'm about to say sounds, it needs to be said. Serving God is about God, not us. Ephesians 6, 7. Our worship ministry here, I get to, by God's grace, be the worship pastor here. We've got like 50 volunteers that just love the Lord. And this is actually our worship ministry theme verse. Our theme verse isn't like, sing unto the Lord a new song, you know, which you would kind of maybe think. A worship ministry has as their like theme verse. This is our theme verse. The Lord gave me this years ago, and I believe it to be true. Ephesians 6, 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord and not people. Because we believe a heart that serves Jesus is a heart that worships Jesus. That's what we're talking about tonight. Listen, God is glorified when they see the Lord and not the servant. One time, uh, A.W. Tozer was presented uh, into this, uh, to a congregation. Like he was presented in this big and just, you know, flattering manner. You know, they were just, y'all, they were just singing his praises, just giving him a grand introduction, talking about all his accolades and all that he's done for the Lord, all, all how he served and et cetera, et cetera. When good old A.W. Uh, stood up to speak, this was his response. He said, all I can say is, dear God, 
Forgive him for what he said. And forgive me for enjoying it so much. I think that's pretty awesome. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus gave us, y'all, again, such an awesome example of what it means to find his duty and delight in serving God. Serving in this capacity is honestly where joy is found. What I love about God is, check this out, when you serve him, I love this, when you serve God, he will actually use what you're doing in your service to serve you, to love on you. Warren W. Worsby said it best when he said, God uses you to build his work, but he also uses the work to build you. Honestly, some of us, <laughs> some of us need to stop treating the church like a hotel and start treating it like a home. Please, man, don't just sit in the stands. Get in the game. If you, though, check it out, if you, though, are in a difficult spot right now. Let this be an encouragement to you. Listen, God is calling you. What, what God is calling you to do right now, listen, he enables you and he sees you through it to show you his grace and grow you in living out his grace. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do unto the glory of God. Such a great anchor verse in that. So the first and second reason why Jesus is per the perfect definition of service. One, Jesus served to serve God. Second, Jesus served so we can serve God. And lastly, Jesus served so we can serve each other. Tonight's message is pretty practical in, in a sense. Jesus served so we can serve each other. I said earlier tonight that, uh, that service has way more, I'm sorry, oh wow, uh, service has way less to do about you than you realize, and we're going to unpack a little bit more of that right now. Serve, check this out, serving others, a way you can kind of define it, serving others, this isn't on the screen, serving others means that God uses us to encourage others to grow and become faithful and fruitful in the Lord. Going back to our original text tonight, y'all can go there, Philippians 2, to, uh, Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 8. We're just going to read it again. Such a good passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only, uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Question, why, like, why, why do we resist serving one another when the Lord of all things willingly came and served us even to the point of his death. Alistair Begg put it nice and simple when he said this. He said, it is impossible to serve God without serving one another. Gosh, that's great. 
Do you want to know what the main antagonist of, uh, of serving each other is? I'm going to tell you tonight. The main, it's not on the screen. The main antagonist for serving each other. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. You see, when you serve others, it's vitally important to not let self-righteousness take root in your heart. Self-righteousness, listen to this. Self-righteousness means that you don't see yourself or the other person with accuracy. You don't. It means that you see his or her speck as a log and your log as a speck. You treat the other person with judgment while you respond to yourself with patience. Y'all, I've seen self-righteousness rear its ugly head many, many times in counseling. By God's grace, I've been in ministry for like 16 plus years now. And man, Tina and I have sat with couples where self-righteousness has so powerfully operated in the couple that it locks their marriage in a permanent state of paralysis and prevents any hope of real lasting change. I sit down with the husband individually, just me and him, dude and dude, man and man. And he comes with this long list of his wife's sins and weaknesses and, and, and failures, but with little awareness or concern of his own. And his wife does the same when Tina sits with her. When I ask the husband what is wrong with his marriage, he doesn't talk about himself. He talks about his wife and vice versa. Question, question, how is it possible to have two utterly righteous people in a marriage that is broken and dysfunctional? Answer, self-righteousness. <laughs> and obviously, marriage, y'all, is just an example. Self-righteousness and honestly spiritual blindness both motivate and honestly strengthen each other. And because they do, y'all, they present, they present a grave danger to anyone who still has sin living inside him or her. Public service announcement. That's all of us. Everlast. Listen, we're almost done. Be honest right here, right now. As you're listening to me, whose sin bugs you more? Your own or that of someone near you? Who are you desperate to see change? You or someone else in your life? Y'all, self-righteousness is just pride masquerading itself. I love how New Testament scholar William Barclay said it when he said, pride is the ground in which all other sins grow and the parent from which all other sins come. Among all the sins that God hates, I've studied this before and I studied it again, it's pride that we see that he, he really hates. Proverbs 16, 5 says, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Hmm. So if self-righteousness is pride masquerading itself, what do we do? What do we do? How, how can we serve each other? Well, hear me, Everlast. We run to grace. 
Gosh, I love that old hymn. Uh, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. I love how Paul David Tripp puts it when he says this. Oh, I love this. Check this out. I think it's on the screen for you. Listen, he says, self-righteousness is yet another powerful argument for our desperate need for God's rescuing grace. It's only God's grace as it comes to us in the insight giving and convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit that can help us see ourselves with accuracy and others with clarity. You see, it takes grace for you to realize how much you still need grace. Everlast, when you understand that in God's eyes, the worker is more important than the work, you're going to have a lot better grasp of what it means to serve one another. You say, but Kev, what, a, what about if someone has hurt me or offended me or just is straight up difficult? Well, to that, I would say something that I heard from my senior pastor, Pastor Al Pittman. He said, you don't know your servant until you're treated like one. The Bible says in Romans 5.5, 5, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Bible also says in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So we can therefore conclude, all right, the love that we need for serving someone who is difficult is not a natural ability. It's a supernatural quality that only God can provide. The love that we need for serving someone who is difficult is not a natural ability. It's a supernatural quality that only God can provide. I love that. When the people we serve irritate or disappoint us, what's the first thing we usually do? Honestly. I can tell you what I do. I usually pray for them, that God would change them. I do that often, unfortunately. <laughs> but did you know that God will deliberately bring a difficult person your way while you serve? You see, God will use the very thing you're doing in that is serving others to check you. You're like, yeah, well, Kev, I don't think serving others is so bad. Well, then God will intensely bring old pessimistic Pete to turn everything in your serving each other world upside down. Then why, why, why does he do this? So that you can run to his grace. Instead of our first reaction to pray for them and to tell uh, the Lord to change them, what we ought to first pray is for ourselves and ask God to increase our love. Something else that is super practical yet super impactful when we're serving others is this. Check it out. Practicing or to practice affirmation. Our leadership team and our volunteer team here at Everlast, we do this every week. Purposefully, intentionally. Why do we affirm each other? Why? Well, it's a command. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Y'all, listen to this. It's amazing. It's amazing how much God can accomplish if his workers don't care who gets the credit. And just encourage each other. 
One word of caution though. Can I give you a word of caution? Be prepared for what I would even label like a super attack from the enemy because the devil does not like it when God's people are encouraged. As a matter of fact, I would say discouragement and depression are two of Satan's chief devices for getting Christians on detours. So it's in that that I believe affirmation is such an awesome weapon against our enemy to ultimately bring glory to God. As we look to Jesus and serving each other, it's, um, it is, I would say, in love and, and affirmation that we stay on course for worshiping God through service. And to wrap it up tonight, listen, those of us uh, who serve Christ, honestly, we should serve, we should strive to serve like Christ. Jesus washed the feet of 12 men who were unworthy of his presence, let alone his service. He received and helped multitudes of people, many of whom never accepted his message. He died for a world that doesn't want him. Why did he do it? Because it was the Father's will for Jesus to come and save sinners. Jesus delighted to do the Father's will. Christ came to serve, not to be served. Hallelujah. Jesus served to serve God. Jesus served so that we can serve God. Jesus served so we can serve each other. Everlasting. Listen, we're saying it often because we want you to think it often. You're either worshiping God or something else. Worship is a lifestyle. It means that you are loving God through your thoughts, your words, your attitude, your actions. We were created to worship God through service. Is your life marked by serving God for his glory and for the good of others? And I'll leave you tonight with a quote that we read at the beginning of tonight by Billy Graham. And I just believe it's applicable again, but yet we're just going to replace a word. We're going to just put service into this quote. I think it's, listen, a spirit of service is one of the most distinctive marks of a Christian whose heart is attuned to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.